0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another one of my podcast show. I'm Trevor Jeremiah carter and I'm here to interview another guest today. We had one this morning. Well, it's afternoon, 12 o'clock, from uh, another guest talking about tax for international and expats. Well, today, we normally run every Thursday, 12 o'clock and 7 p.m., and today, we have a guest all the way from calendar, Canada. Who are going to be with us today to talk about your fear of overcoming fear when you're speaking on the stage? So most of us know that kind of drama where we're always on the stage and we freak out and we don't know what to do or what to say. Well, today's guest, Tyler Foley, is going to explain to us how we can overcome those fears. So before we start, I'm going to let you all know to all of you who are joining us and listening to this show, there's an opportunity for you, if you wish to be on our show. To speak about your business or your ideas or even a hobby you may have that may help other listeners to make radical changes in their life. Now, if you would like to be a guest, you can simply email us at infolivingyourgoodlife.co.uk. At That's infolivingyourgoodlife.co.uk. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say thank you for coming, and uh, this is a special, special show we have today and uh, it's going to be definitely entertaining and drama because we all need it in the days and times we're living in ah uh, we're going to need that high level entertainment and tyler is definitely going to be giving us that today so once again uh today is the day so uh, welcome to the
1: show well thanks for having me trevor okay so how are things over your side in canada smoky right now we uh We're in record heat waves and forest fires, so I'm on the east side of the Rocky Mountains, which means the jet stream pushes all the smoke from BC over top of me. Okay, so you sound a very active man climbing those rocks. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, uh, life is all about living it the best you can, and uh, we're all taking this opportunity to live the life we best we can. But it's good to see you come on the show, because some of our listeners who are sometimes looking for ways of building their confidence in terms of when they're the stage of even five people, they can freak out or even even 10 people. But today, Foley, um, what I'm looking for is uh, your tips and ideas that I know our listeners will enjoy. But before we start into that, I want to ask you to could introduce yourself, your name, and a little bit about your background for the sake of the listeners.
1: Yeah, sure. I'm a father, a husband, a performer, an actor, best-selling author seeker of warm beaches and a haver of general fun is pretty much who i am um and uh yeah i've been acting in stage film and television for 35 years Hmm. uh, author of the power to speak naked and that's that's who i am okay so uh being an actor you expected to have a career so long yeah no i've uh I, I was very lucky that I am one of the few people within the profession and the union who made acting a full-time vocation. It was the only thing that I did for years and years and years and years. And uh, I, I actually started when I was six years old and then semi-retired from the business at 25 to go back to school. And I started my own company. Um, I've actually had a few different companies uh and some silent partners and a few more so i've had a very entrepreneurial spirit for a very long time i i find it hard to work the nine to five given that mm. i've had a uh, free reign of my schedule for most of my life all
0: right uh, obviously when we're growing up and we have a career-minded mindset we we'll want to do some parents have an objection against what we
1: want to do as a career did you come across those challenges when they heard that you want to be an actor no, in fact, it was my mother who encouraged me to get into the arts to begin with. Um, I've had a very supportive family. I don't think they got really too concerned until I graduated high school and continued doing it. and then it was one of those, you know it's it's not the easiest way to make a living. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> I work a hundred days a year and make you know the same amount of money <laughs> that most people who work full time do so I would say this is easy. Yeah, it it's um, the income fluctuates, like you have to get used to uh, not having steady income. But the beautiful thing about it is it taught me at a very early age, uh, how to budget. Um, and that credit is not your friend so i (laughs) you know most everything that i do i pay for in cash because i never know when the cash is going to come and that has served me in pretty much all of my businesses and and dealings in life
0: all right so uh acting became your number one priority your parents have to adjust that feeling of okay he's going to be an actor not a lawyer or a doctor which you tend to know these parents have a different mindset But you decided to stick to that and you've actually made it. And this is one of the reasons why I have you on this show because your experience is going to help many who have that real big time fear, speaking on a stage and talking to people, or even looking on a camera or even coming on a camera, uh, Mm -hmm. or even on the internet like we're doing now. (laughs) People just tend to have a fear of that. So acting now, um, we hear so much news about, excuse me, we hear so much news about acting when people think, okay, I'm a good actor, I can speak well, I can act well, I can walk straight into Hollywood. So acting, what is it really, really like for the benefit of our listeners when people hear the word acting?
1: Uh, well, so being a professional actor is um, an exercise in, in rejection. You have mm. to get very used to hearing no and... Um, and knowing that that has absolutely nothing to do with you. So I've had the luxury of being on both sides of the camera. I've been both a performer and actor in front of the camera. And then I've been a producer and a director on the other side. I've also worked in casting. I've, I have part, uh, part ownership of a talent agency. I, um, I've been a reader for casting directors. So I know both sides. And I can tell everyone out there, anyone who wants to get into the business or who is in the business, it has nothing to do with your talent, why you got cast. Mm-hmm. The fact that you got an audition is based on your talent. You wouldn't have gotten the audition if you didn't have the the talent to show up in the room. But when you show up, you can do your best read that you've ever done ever and still not get cast for reasons outside of what your talent actually was and when I was at my height when I was making the absolute most uh, financially and when I was booking the most regularly and uh, consistently I was still booking one out of eight auditions that I'd go in for mm. and that was you know when I was auditioning probably two to three times a week Mm -hmm. Um, and I know actors now when it's when it's really busy like it is currently where you could be reading two or three times a day Mm -hmm. and being pulled into different casting sessions uh, sometimes in a blink of an eye and a lot of that again comes down to it, it doesn't your talent isn't the thing that books you the gig your talent is what gets you in the room to be able to have the opportunity to book the gig and then everything else kind of lies down to director's preference and choice and maybe you had blue eyes instead of brown eyes and they needed brown eyes because the child playing your kid had brown eyes like you never know you just never know and it's so much outside of uh your control but it is also one of the most rewarding and um giving careers that anybody could ever get into um and anybody who wants to i would strongly encourage them to try you never know what you're going to do until you try. And, that, and that's how I started out. You know, my uncle asked a casting director, well, hey, if you're looking for a tiny Tim, my nephew is small. How does he audition? And right. it grew from there. And so it, you never know where you can get to or where you'll be uh, at the right moment at the right time and if it's a thing that you want to strive for you just have to continue to prepare yourself day in day out work on the craft as much as you can and study and you'll never know when that break comes
0: right obviously it's a challenging moment getting into that market and actually understanding hey this is different from what i'm hearing once you're inside so mm-hmm. when you're inside now i want you explain to us emotionally when you get rejected 50 times <laughs> 60 times you're trying to get into one step door of closer to your dream. Tell us emotionally, how does somebody deal with that when you want to get into the career of acting? You get rejected so many times and you've got agencies backing you up and helping you out. And you're thinking, who's doing the right thing? Who's doing the wrong thing? So you want to share like that with this?
1: Yeah. So again, knowing that um, if you're getting the auditions, then you have the talent to succeed. And it's just a matter of getting in front of it enough times before you hear that. Yes. So remember that for every no, you're one step closer to a yes. And it's such a cliche um, mindset, but it's really important to have it that I, I look forward to getting through the auditions because I know that not every role is for me. Mm -hmm. There are some roles that I really, really want that I think would be really, really amazing or just fun to play. Um, I just auditioned for one, uh all over the weekend that i really really want it seems like it would be a really fun and cool show to do but i also know i'm i'm likely not going to get it and Mm -hmm. again it has nothing to do with my talent it just has everything to do with the logistics of the business and i may not be a right fit for that cast but i doesn't mean that my next one won't be i i just booked a gig at the beginning of the month that was that was a challenge to film actually, because it came about really rapidly. It was a last minute role that they added that the writers put in and they had to do a quick turnaround audition. I think I auditioned the one day and I'm self taping at this point. So I submitted the yeah. tape to the casting director on Sunday. I got the call on Saturday, submitted the tape on Sunday, got the call Sunday night that I booked it, went in for a COVID test on the Monday wardrobe test, uh, Fitting on tuesday and filmed on the wednesday like it was boom 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 and that one again was it my talent probably not they needed to fill the role and i'm willing to bet that i was the first person to submit the tape right and the only reason i was able to submit the tape that quickly is because when i'm not acting this is what i'm doing yeah and so i have my studio set up so again right place right time and it's all about keeping the mindset of All you have to do is know that if you're in there and you're getting auditions, you are a performer and you have the talent. And that's all I have to remind myself day in, day out. I am a performer and I have the talent. All I can do is work on making my talent better. So workshopping, working with other actors, uh, getting into classes and working on my craft so that I'm constantly doing it. Doing things like this helps. Yes, yeah. Because now I'm interacting with a camera, I'm interacting with other human beings. I'm getting to, I still get to perform, even though this is unscripted performance. I still get to show up as Tyler Foley, author, speaker, actor,
2: yeah.
1: and 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 be in front of the camera. So these are ways that I'm working on it. And then when a call comes that says, hey, submit right now, yes, okay, what do you want? Well, let's do this. My camera set up. I've got the background. Let's go.
0: Right, right. So it's not only a mental state, but it's also consistent being up the speed at the right time to get your information out there. Because I see uh, acting and drama or that kind of work, is a very fast pace. Um, That's why you go to the studio and everything's going on You're thinking, okay, am I in town or am I in the city? Everything's going on so quick. So again, you have to move
1: quick on your feet. Is that right? Well, not only do you have to move quick on your feet, but, and I've learned this in a lot of different areas of my life. So uh, I used to dance. Uh, I'm a goaltender in hockey ice hockey and right. all of those things require quick reaction, but it's always better if you're in the right place so that you don't have to react. Right. And that's really the key to a lot of anything in life, whether it's you want to be an actor, whether you want to be successful as an entrepreneur in business, uh, even if you want to find the right partner and fall in love. Yeah. Being it's not enough to be at the right place at the right time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's also being the right fit in the right place at the right time. And the only way you can be the right fit is to constantly be working so that you're always ready, working on yourself yes. so that you're ready to show up. So for me, I'm, you know, I'm running lines every day. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't book a gig every day. I'm certainly not performing on set every day. Mm -hmm. But I am constantly working on lines and memorization just to keep my skills sharp so that when somebody does phone on a Saturday at eight o'clock at night and say, here's three pages of dialogue, I need you to memorize it. And we would like to have that submission in by noon on Sunday, Mm -hmm. I can go, okay, there's no panic in me because I go, all right, this is what needs to get done. And I have the tools and the skill set to do it. And yeah. that is 90% of, right? Everybody says right place, right time. No, right person yeah. in the right place at the right time. Because if you're not prepped for it, you'll never get it anyway.
0: Right, right. So obviously, you've been in that industry for so long, what would you say the most biggest challenge for you that you were not aware of when you got in there?
1: Um, the biggest challenge that I faced, particularly coming at it from a young age, was unbridled ego Mm. Um, for the longest time i thought i was the greatest performer to ever grace the the stage and screen um and it was a shock to me to discover that i was not Mm. you know anybody who's tuning into this right now um and thank you for listening to the yes you can podcast yeah but they they didn't know who I was. Nobody knows my name, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the few people who are, do recognize me or know me probably don't know me as an actor. They know me as an author or a speaker. And I'm okay with that because I'm what's called a day player, right? I've made my career out of being student number one or frat boy number two or student in hallway or, you know, cowboy number three like i always have a number after my name which is fine i don't mind it because i still get paid the same as every other actor who shows up on set and it gives me the freedom to not be locked down to one project for a very long time but but when i was you know in my mid teens and and early 20s even i thought i was great greatest and unfortunately you do need to have a belief in yourself but when you have unbridled ego the way that I did it Mm -hmm. tends to rub people the wrong way and it's hard to overcome those Mm -hmm. first impressions and I had to do a lot of damage repair based on poor decisions that I made early on the nice thing is is a lot of people were very gave me great grace and understanding of the fact that I was young and dumb. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you and, think so? Uh, Do you think so? I oh I was. And they did. <laughs> it was it was great though, because I you know, it I think it I needed that to learn and to temper myself because unchecked, I'm sure I would I would have continued on in a path of just I would have been obnoxious, where at least now I can. I can smile at who I was and recognize that I don't want to be that anymore, right. um, but understand where I still needed to have a bravado. Like you still need to have faith in yourself, but it's one thing to have faith in yourself internally. It's another thing to express that faith in yourself externally.
0: Right, right. Now, you're talking a lot of things here that I'm sure our listeners will be working. Out. I've always wanted to be an actor. I can't get in. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be guided. But I think your information you're giving it tough. It's really about preparation, your mind, your body, and getting the understanding of how to work on yourself over time. So, when you're inside there, um, you have directors, you have script writers, there's a lot of people who are asking you to do certain things all at once.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, that can be quite overwhelming. How do you handle those kind of pressures when you're in that industry?
1: Well, so, <laughs> like anything that's a creative uh, endeavor, Everyone's going to have their opinions and everyone will be right. The problem is when everybody's right, everybody is also wrong. <laughs> right. Oh, so, well, you, not no one person is ever going to agree on how a thing is. You and I could come to a scene uh, if you and I are acting together. And so I, you could come to it with your ideas, Trevor, of how this scene needs to play out. I come with my ideas of how it plays out. The director is going to come with their ideas of how it should look. The producer knows how they want it filmed or preferably how it should be structured how much time we should take with this scene the writer had a vision when they wrote it and then another writer probably came on to fix the gaps Mm -hmm. Um, they may have even asked for an actor's input on well i don't even know what you'd say here what would you say here there's a lot that happens in a creative environment like that the problem is is everybody's going to put in their input oh i think you should Mm. And then everybody ends up shooting on over everybody and, and no, no one person is right. And no one person is wrong. So when you have a lot of people who are giving you instruction, you kind of have to go, okay, well, ultimately, whose whose vision are we trying to set out here? Mm -hmm. And if you're on a theatrical Hollywood film, that's probably the director. If you're on a episodic series, TV series, it's probably not the director. It's actually probably the showrunner or producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also want to be really respectful of the actors, especially if you're on a long standing series, something that's 10, 12, 15 years, and you have a core cast that has been on that project for that long. Maybe mm-hmm. it's actually their vision because mm-hmm. they know it more than anyone else the directors come and go on things like that and a lot of times the showrunners get replaced over Mm. the course of time as well so the actor might actually be the better one so you have to figure out first of all who is the authority it might be you because if if it's a small independent production with a first-time director and a first-time writer And nobody really knows where the character should or shouldn't be going. Well, you as an actor, now you are the authority Mm -hmm. because you're the one who's studying it. Mm -hmm. So having faith in yourself and your own talent is one thing, knowing who the final say is and and sticking with that. And if you're not sure, and that's okay, because sometimes it could be A, B or C, you still got to pick one. Ultimately, this is whose input I'm going to trust and believe and stick with regardless. Mm -hmm. Right. Could be the director, could be the showrunner or producer, could be the writer, could be you. But you've got to pick and stick with it. And that way there's no wishy washy. And you can't go back and be like, oh, well, maybe if only. No, right. you, you, you pick and you go with it. You pick your lane and you stick there. Right, right. Now I want to come
0: in, what you said there is something that came to my mind. Is about how much power does an actor have to contribute to a film that is acting? So... I, it, it's, I know it's kind of a challenging situation because you may be acting something, you look at the script and say, hey, you know what, I don't think I'll do it, but you tried it four or five times, it's not really working. And I can imagine somebody say, look, quick, goodbye, go, you can't do it. But how much power does an actor have in contributing with the writer, director, and producer?
1: Is it, de- it limited? It depends. And and there, I've worked with some amazing playwrights who have been incredibly open to input. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with some really tyrannical ones who it was their way or no way. And both both work. You know, when you... I know the, the ones that I prefer to work on and with, mm-hmm. and that is somebody... I, I do prefer a collaboration over a dictatorship. But mm-hmm. at the same time, a dictatorship, there is... Um, something to say when you have a final say in authority, you know? And so if it goes great, this is who you congratulate. If it goes wrong, this is who you blame. Um, Where, you know, like if something tanks and you had no control over it creatively, well, then you know why it tanked. But at the same time, somebody who works in a collaborative event and you take so much input in and we kind of mesh it all together, that can lose direction too so there's pros and cons to both ways and as an actor you just have to find out what kind of a set are you on and this is this isn't just acting right in any yep. situation what's my level of input and what's my level of authority yes. if i show up as a day player or if i show up as a new employee because that's what all the day player is is a new employee to a set the same way that if i showed up my first day at the office i'm still the new guy on, on at the office Mm -hmm. So you have to establish where are you in that hierarchy and what kind of a culture have you stepped into? Is it collaborative or is it dictator? Mm -hmm. And once you can figure that out, then you can figure out how much input you can have. And yeah, there have been some times where I've had some bad lines to say, and I've just had to say them and make the best out of it as I could. But... There's also been times where I've been like, I don't know about this. And I've had a director be like, no, you just have to trust me. Do it this way. And I go, okay. And I do it and I go, oh man, that was awful. And then I see the final cut and go, oh, well, they were right, obviously.
0: Yeah. Right. And I think you mentioned something that it's all about trusting that industry, right? Trusting people who believe in you as much as you believe in yourself. So they're going to give you an upper hand opportunity, I assume, when they see that you're working with them and you're giving them an opportunity. And hey, both of could work long-term, small production, high production, what it may be. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, what, if, what can we say? Um, this is an opportunity for you. If you're looking for the acting career, could this be the step for you? But guess what? Every career we look at, we've got to start somewhere. And acting is one of them, with our wonderful guest, Tyler, who is shining with us which I'm really entertained to hear more about, his long-term career as an actor. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna take a short break and we will be coming straight back to carry on with our wonderful guests to find out more, the hidden truth of being an actor.
1: How to drive better inclusion through the use of innovative creative problem solving. Empowering organizations to use their existing resources and capabilities to create solutions that are bespoke for their organizational cultures and structures. Nzinga is a culture expert who is passionate about people and successful in delivering transformational change to benefit individuals and organizations. Nzinga is a leader and has over 16 years of experience in the transport industry in various roles within strategy, governance, people change, data, and analytics, project management, innovation and automation and creative problem solving. Join us with special guest and singer Orgil Thursday, 22nd July at 7 pm.
0: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Trevor Carter, your host today. Yes, you can podcast today. Today is your day. And we have our wonderful actor, performer, director, writer, and a comedian. <laughs> I can just imagine thinking to myself, you must have been a real comedian in your family, making everybody laugh. Is that right?
1: Uh, I was definitely, um, entertaining and, and a bit of a, I don't know that I was the class clown, but definitely within my family, I was the jokester. Um, you know, one of my, one of my favorite sounds that I could ever hear in my life and, and I work for it every day is to hear my mom laugh. Um, when I, when I was growing up, my father passed away at six years old. And when my mom heard the news. Uh, She made the most blood curdling and just heart wrenching noise that I've ever heard. And I never want to hear it again. And so I pretty much dedicated my life to making sure that I never have to. And part of that is making her, her laugh and her smile. And uh, my mom, when she gets going, she does this, this great thing where she'll laugh herself to exhaustion, And she has just this warm, like, it it fills the room the way that she laughs. It is so musical. And she'll laugh herself to exhaustion and she'll go, "Ah," right at the end. She does this, this, this just amazing sigh, but she always does it. And so the greatest thing is, is to point out that she sighs. So she'll sigh and then me and my sister will go "Ah," and mock her. And then she starts laughing again. And it's this self-perpetuating um cycle and it's it's all it's amazing and i just i love to hear her laugh so i think that put me um in the mindset of comedy for sure
0: right so am i right to say the hidden talent about you being an actor has always been inside of you it's just that it's come out more and more from a young age to where you are now is that right
1: yeah i was born a performer i just needed the opportunity to do it i it's very similar to um when they were asking michael michelangelo how how he envisioned the statue of David in the marble, right? And he said, the statue is always in there. I just needed to chip away the unnecessary parts. Mm-hmm. I was always, I was born a performer. Like mm-hmm. this is who I am. It's it's ingrained in my DNA. I've just needed the opportunities as I've matured and grown and aged to use that skill set that is inherent within me. I'm lucky in that mm-hmm. I discovered it early. A lot of, some people don't even discover what their yeah. what their true genius is until 30, 40, 50, 60. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just blessed that it came to me early and was encouraged and fostered.
0: Right, okay. Now, I know you're based in, well, you're resident and based in Canada. It's very rare from UK, we hear Canadian actors in UK or Europe Close next door, America. You know, because they're two neighbors. Have you had the opportunity to travel worldwide as being an actor? And what experiences have you had traveling as an actor? What has it learned for you?
1: Um, it's it's. I have actually been able to have the freedom to travel as an actor, um, and it's always it's it's interesting, you know. And even traveling within Canada. You know, uh, because I'm based out of Calgary, which is not a very large film center, although it's growing. So oftentimes I'd have to go to Vancouver or Toronto to film, uh, go down to L.A. for pilot season. And I I did get cast (laughs) once in um, what was a bad, just a a bad Jackie Chan knockoff film. It did not star Jackie Chan. Um, And it filmed in Thailand for three weeks. So I got to go to uh, Bangkok and film, uh, which was nice because it was in January. So, you know, it's freezing cold in Canada and it was beautiful along right. the uh, the equator <laughs> in, right. in the South China Sea. And, yeah. um, and that was just, that was really uh, interesting. It was interesting for a couple of different reasons. It was neat to see uh, a different culture and how they film. It, mm-hmm you know, I've been to Thailand before just as a tourist, but uh, you know, to be able to um, see different parts of it too, like we had different filming locations and, and it was neat. It was one of the first, in fact, it's probably only one of two times in my life where I've felt like a celebrity where every, every time, everything else, I'm just, I'm me. I'm Tyler Foley. I show up on set. Hi, good to meet you. Let's do this scene. I'm a working actor, but I, I remember, um, the cast wanting to go out to a nightclub when we were in Thailand and, uh, and we had, you know, transportation. So we, we, we had the transport take us there. And, um, the one star had, uh, a bit of a bodyguard entourage, mm-hmm. uh, three or four. Um, he was a pretty well-known Korean, South Korean actor. And so he traveled with his own, um, bodyguard. Anyway, it was really neat to <laughs> to walk into a club and have yeah. bodyguards talk to bouncers and bouncers yeah. talk to bodyguards and yeah. they kind of look over at us and do one of these things. And then yeah. get swept up to a VIP suite with like the bottle service and everything. And I don't really drink. So it was like, right. it was neat to be pampered and fawned upon. Cause that isn't a thing that would normally happen for me. And right. I, I was, uh, I was definitely thankful for it. It was an interesting experience. All right. Any other country you've been to acting? Acting? No. I did um, have an opportunity once through the Stratford Festival here in um, Canada, in Ontario, um, to audition to do um, Shakespeare at the Globe which was an excellent opportunity, but I was definitely not talented enough to pull it off. Mm -hmm. But again, it maybe wasn't talent. I just definitely wasn't the right fit for it, for what they were looking for. Um, But I have, you know, other friends who have worked over at the BBC um, with my band. I've played music in the UK and a really good friend of mine, if anybody gets a chance, if they're in um, London and I think he's playing out of maybe Soho, maybe I can't remember. But um, look up Robin Phillips, be- okay. amazing jazz musician and plays regularly in London and has, a, I think he has like a standing Thursday night gig somewhere, one of the jazz clubs there. And I used, to, I used to play with him a lot. I'd back him up on the drums. He's a phenomenal keyboard player and singer. And yeah. I'm a mediocre drummer and vocalist. So <laughs> I'd, I'd come <laughs> and I'd do jazz drumming with him. And that was, that was really fun. So I've performed all over the world. I just right. not always as an actor in some kind of vocation.
0: Right. So from my understanding, your kind of roles in acting is touch and touch go moments of anything that comes. Is that right? More than yeah. a film series of 25 series that you're involving with, um, what, uh, what's the name now? All these famous celebrities and you have the opportunity to be shoulder to shoulder and say, hey, we're doing a Jackie Chan film. Um, I'm involved in this and I'm doing a bit of karate or whatever. How have you involved with your, are you involved in some of these series? Are are they short clips? Yeah, for me that
1: like if you, if anybody was to go through my IMDB, so internet movie database um, credits right now, uh, they would see a lot of well-known shows and they would be like, well, who was this guy? (laughs) Because I, again, I come in as 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 a support and not even a supporting role like that's actually a thing i'm i'm just what again what they refer to as a day player every once in a while i get a principal role so you have eight or more lines maybe one or two scenes um the largest role that i had is a toss-up i did a, a, a tv series with mtv called together and the main star, Michael Cuccioni, who is, was an incredible talent, a beautiful, beautiful voice. He was one of the most gifted singers I've ever heard. And this, this uh, TV series was about a, a fictional boy band. And unfortunately, Michael um, had uh, survived cancer twice but also had uh, pulmonary and uh, lung issues as a, as a consequence of some of the chemo. And he ended up passing away midway through the first season of filming and so they they hired me i was already doing um photo doubling for them and stunt doubling for them and stand in for them and so they just kind of put me in for the last three episodes yeah so technically i got three episodes out of that but you would never know that it was me like they purposely tried to hide me right and so that it was still michael carried through i don't i'm not even sure that i I think if you read the credits I might be credited but he's still the character on it and like I don't even know that it shows up in IMDB to be honest and Mm -hmm. then um my largest like screen presence came from a really cool sci-fi tv series called Jeremiah and technically I'm in two episodes of that because I was in the pilot episode and the pilot episode was two hours long and Mm -hmm. when they released it um for syndication that pilot episode actually gets broken into two separate episodes. But for me, it was, you know, a single episode, three film days. And um, that was, that was really cool. And uh, so I'm in, you know, four or five scenes with that and regularly interacting with the, the late Luke Perry, who unfortunately uh, passed away last year. And um, Malcolm Jamal Warner, who Mm -hmm. was Theo from the Cosby show, who's an incredible talent too. He was really fun to work with. Right. And so that's like from a, from a filmography standpoint, that's right. my most kind of screen time. Right. But I've worked with some amazing actors in very brief little bits. William H. Macy and Dame Helen Mirren and I, mm-hmm. uh, I got to do a scene with them in a really phenomenal show called Door to Door, which was a true a story about a true life um, man named Bill Porter, who was a door-to-door salesman with cerebral palsy. And that was a great show to do. And then, you know, everything else is just kind of show up, say a couple of lines, yes. say hi, sit in your trailer for a little bit and then leave.
0: Right, right, right. Now, for you being to do so long, are, is that the kind of where you want to be for the next couple of years? Or do you feel more a settled, proper, high product film to be in long term and be well known for what you know?
1: No, but- I, I think I like what I'm doing now. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody, I would, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't want to be the top billed star of an international blockbuster movie. Right. Like that would be right. I mean, of course, who wouldn't? Yeah. And if I got that opportunity, I would be grateful and, and, and absolutely loving of the, of the time that I got yeah. to do it, but it's not a of pursuit on my end. Mm-hmm. what I do now, um, public speaking is way more rewarding. Like being on set is fun for me. It's playtime. Now yeah. I get to go and be a little creative and, you know, feel a little pampered because when you are acting on set, you know, you have people who fawn over you and they yeah. do your makeup and fix your hair and catch your collar and ask if you're okay and bring you yeah. water or whatever. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's fun. But the work that I'm doing now as a public speaker is more rewarding because I get to see impact and change on people. And mm-hmm. that's the other thing. I don't get this. I'll, I'm not sitting in the theater when people, when somebody watches a movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know yeah. what impact I have where I'm not at home with them while they're watching a TV series. But yeah. when I'm speaking on stage, I have impact. I get to right. see real change and I get to see how people have light bulb moments and go, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yes. And that, that makes all the difference in the world. So I'm happy with, honestly, I have an incredible life right now. I've got a beautiful family, a wonderful daughter who is getting into film herself. And (laughs) just, you know, I, I'm, I'm blessed with what I do day in, day out. So I I wouldn't change a thing.
0: Absolutely. Um, Because once you put your heart into something, it's very hard to move onto something else when you already know it's working. So yep. what you're doing is working and it's growing, it's prospering, you're changing people's lives. And I think this is something I want to go on to because you've taken it on another level. You're actually speaking on stage to normal people who probably have questions about how to get into acting, especially the confident building of speaking on stage. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that. How are you going about that? And why did you decide to start that?
1: Well, I got into it because I... I've been, again, in performance for 35 years. And a lot of people would reach out to me to MC events or weddings or um, speak on stage, do keynote presentations. And inevitably at the end of it, people would come up to me and say, how did you do that? Like, I could never get on stage. I'm terrified to get on stage. I'm terrified of public speaking. And, and I would always be curious to why this was the case because for me I'm not I'm not afraid to get on stage in fact I look forward to get on stage it's something that I want to do yeah and so I was curious about it and I started to to kind of reverse engineer the few times in my life that I'd gotten stage fright why had I gotten it and really delve into it and then when I discovered why then I needed to share it with the world because most people claim to be afraid of public speaking 77 percent If you were to survey the UK, US, Canada right now, 77% of respondents would say that they have some form of anxiety around public speaking, Mm -hmm. but it isn't true. It's a story that they're telling and I think they think it's true, but they're actually not. And for anyone who's listening to this right now, think to yourself, when was the last time you were in a restaurant And I recognize that we're coming out of a very weird period of time. So that may have been 12, 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. But when was the last time you were in a restaurant? And when you were there, were you able to order food? Because if you were able to order food in a restaurant, you can speak in public. So people are not actually afraid of public speaking. What they're afraid of is public judgment. Mm. That the words that they say or what they do will be negatively perceived or judged by the public to which they're doing it in front of. Mm-hmm. And when you can tackle that fear of public judgment, that's when you can free everybody to be on stage. Mm-hmm. And so when I realized that, then I then I had to make it my mission and my focus because it's, it's a shame, especially because um, another statistic that I read, um, the fear of public speaking or, the, or not using it as a skill set, not honing public speaking as a skill set, has a 10% reduction in your wage potential mm-hmm. and has a 15% reduction in your ability to get a promotion because public speaking is viewed as a leadership skill. Mm-hmm. And so when you combine that, you are impacting yourself financially by at least 25%. Mm-hmm. I could use 25% more money. And I'm sure everybody who's listening to this could use 25% more money. And yet 77% of people are terrified to do this one thing that could earn them more at a bare minimum as a skill set, earn them more money. And what an even more shocking statistic is even after I've told your audience that only 8% will actively try to find professional help to get better at public speaking. Mm. And that to me, I need to tackle that. Because that means 92% of people are like, yeah, it's, it's fine. I'm sure I could earn more, but you don't understand, Tyler. I'm mm-hmm. terrified and I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And so to, for me to tackle the stigma that they're not actually terrified of public speaking, public speaking is not the issue. And get them to address the fear of public judgment, mm-hmm. which is a real thing and often causes stage fright. Right that that's a thing that we can tackle and we can mold and then we can help people. Cause the thing is, is then people are free to share their stories and speak up and say what's on their mind and challenge some of these social norms that aren't getting challenged because people are afraid to say what they know in their heart to be true. Yeah. And that's when we can affect real positive change. And so that's why I've made it my mission. Yes. I I've got this performance background, and yes, I've been on in film, TV, and stage for 35 years. But I'm using the same skill set now to just speak my own script, my own oh. stories. And what I want people to know is that you don't have to be an actor to be a good public speaker. Mm. And in fact, most good public speakers have never acted in their life. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you can. <laughs> anybody can do this. We're on, you can do it. Yes, you can. Yes, Yes. you can. You can do this if you want to. Um, And I just want to encourage people to be able to tell their story because stories have impact and can affect change in the world. And we learn through story and that's why I want to empower people to be able to do it. And that's why I do the training that I do. That's why I wrote the book. Yeah. because it's amazing how people, I hear it all the time, oh, I'm not going on
0: stage, I can't talk about it. The image they put in their mind is the response of the people, how they're going to think of them negative. Yeah. And I kind of think, why are you thinking like that? That's why you can't get on the stage. Never mind talking about it. You can't even step up the first step to get on the stage. So take us through the process, as uh, brief, as you can. Uh, what is the process and how can somebody overcome that fear?
1: Well, so the first thing to recognize is that you are giving a narrative that is your narrative. It's not the audience's narrative. Mm -hmm. Very likely if somebody is coming to watch you give a presentation, they want to be there. People don't, right. I'm selfish. You, we are all selfish individuals. We think of ourselves first. It's the airline oxygen mask principle, right? I'm going to put mine on first. I'm going to make sure I'm okay. And then I'm going to deal with everybody else because I'm a decent human being. I I want all of us to make it out of this plane, okay, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to deal with me first. And that's how the majority of the world works. We think of ourselves first and then others. Mm -hmm. So when I'm projecting all of those negative thoughts onto my audience, it's false. I don't show up to a presentation if I don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. And if I've taken the time to show up, I want you to succeed. Yes. So the first thing to recognize is that the audience is on your side. And again, I'll ask your audience to think right now, when was the last presentation that you were at? Yes. Whether it was in an auditorium, a theater, the boardroom of your work. Did you go in there thinking to yourself, oh, I hope this is a waste of my time. I hope this sucks. And I hope the speaker forgets everything that they're going to talk about, because I certainly don't want this to be any good whatsoever so that I can get along with my day. Yes. You didn't think that. right? Nobody thinks that. At best, we're passively indifferent, right. right? Particularly in a boardroom scenario, because your boss told you you needed to come to this presentation. It's mandatory. Yeah. So you're like, well, I hope this doesn't waste my time, which is another way of saying, I hope this is worth coming to, which means that, again, at worst, somebody is passively, passively indifferent to your message and wants you to succeed. They want you to be good. Because yeah. I, when I go to a presentation, I want it to be good. Yes.
2: Especially if it's
1: something where I paid money for a ticket. Right.
2: Right. Right?
1: I want it to be good. So the audience is on your side. The next thing to remember is if you have been asked to present. Yes. You're the authority. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows more about the thing you're about to talk to talk about than you. Mm -hmm. Because if somebody else knew more, they would have asked somebody else. Yeah. (laughs) They They don't bring people who don't know or shouldn't be there. Yes. So if you have been asked to present, you are the authority. So not only are you the authority, but the audience is on your side. So you don't have to project this negative. Start looking at, you know, if you want to spend your time playing the what if game, mm-hmm. which is never a good thing to do, but if you're going to. Yeah. Yeah. What if you give the greatest talk? Mm-hmm. What if you change lives? Mm-hmm. What if you open people up to a new way of thinking and a new thought pattern that drastically changes and improves them?
2: Mm. Like
1: those are the what ifs that you need to start worrying about. And so when I go through and get prepared for anything, whether I'm acting on set or if I'm going to give a presentation on stage, the majority of my preparation is focusing on a positive outcome how am I going to succeed at this? What are the outcome? And I focus on my audience. I don't even worry about me. Yeah. What does the audience need? What do I need to deliver for them to that day? How can I make this concept more understood? Do you resonate with that? Do you understand? Like I focus on my audience and then I, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. And again, I'm, I'm assuming my authority. I'm taking the power to me. Right. And I'm just, I'm, I'm showing up to serve. And if people can do that, it's so easy to get over the fear of judgment because you're not worried about what they think. You're worried about how you can help them. Right, yeah. And that's that's when you have true power over, over your audience.
0: Right, when you tap into that model and it becomes accustomed to you, it's, it's a normal thing to get up in the morning and just go and do the same thing again without any fear at all because you're actually doing it right. Um, and Tyler, You might relate to this. I remember a time where I had a young guy who was going on the stage. He was petrified to go on the stage. He just couldn't go on the stage. And I'm there scratching my head. I said, I've tried nearly 10 times to get this guy to even go on the first step to get on the stage. But I said to him, look, this is your opportunity. You are paid to do this. You have to do it. What you need to do is get rid of the fear. got on the stage. He was okay. And I sat down. I was like, right, he's working now. The worst moment for him, not for me, was the crowd was flat. I was like, oh, this is a young person. I'm saying, please, I'm like, please don't destroy this young man, whatever you do. Because he's not used to this. So he's trying and going and going on, but there's no entertainment. There's no reaction. People arm folded, look at him. Some people were turning and twisting in their seat. He just lost it. And I said, man, I had to run on the stage and said to him, okay, ladies and gentlemen, blah, 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 to get the entertainment going back in again. And people start attention, start to focus. And I whispered in ear, I said, do it, do it. So I ran down and sat back down. And I think that was the moment he realized if I never stepped on that stage, I think it would have been the most embarrassing moment of his life for people to get up, walk out, the is flat. Nobody's interested. He was just petrified. It's almost like he was crying. And I said, nah, I can't leave you like this. Have you ever experienced those moments for you oh, yeah. throughout your career?
1: Yeah. Um, I, it's, the thing is, is growing up in Canada, we have, and my apologies to every Canuck who's listening to <laughs> your broadcast right now, Trevor, we have the worst audiences in the world. Right. Like our, because we, i think it's because we think we're being polite right so we sit very reserved very stoic in our seats and at the end of maybe a song or maybe at the end of the act we'll go and golf clap yeah And, and but if you go and perform in new york or la anywhere in the states you get into the west end of london right like people are cheering they're yelling i mean especially if you're performing in new york they're yelling regardless like it's, yeah. even if it's an yeah, 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 time, it's, it's <laughs> a heckling, right and so you get that audience feedback so i i don't know if i was uh lucky or unlucky to grow up in a an environment where there wasn't a lot of feedback a lot so i'm used to a flat audience or flat energy and for me having to bring the energy to bring that audience up yeah But I definitely, you know, I remember the first time I got stage fright, um, I I felt this huge judgment because I was uh, reading uh, in Flanders Fields, the poem Mm -hmm. for Remembrance Day or Veterans Day. And uh, more specifically, I was um, performing that because it was memorized. And I remember seeing this this man, this veteran from, I don't know if he was First World War or Second World War, because he (laughs) was old, so he could have been either or. Uh, but he's highly decorated. And I remember, again, projecting my own thoughts on him. Who am I to be speaking of Flanders Field when this man probably has seen it? He has likely seen people die in the war. And I am a 14-year-old punk kid who's never really been outside of Alberta. You know? Like, right. I I was projecting onto him. And the audience was flat. Because it's a Remembrance Day yeah. ceremony. So it's not yeah. like it's a jovial thing anyway. Yeah yeah right it was very stoic very reserved and then on top of it i'm doing it in rural alberta canada so it's even more stoic and reserved like the like crickets you could actually hear crickets because i'm pretty sure there was a cricket yeah. in the auditorium and it was crick 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 because it was you know november yeah but the i it was it was terrifying for me and that's again when i said that i had to reverse engineer everything for the book i had to go back and think well why did i get that mm-hmm. was the first time I'd ever experienced stage fright. Why did it occur at that point? And I realized it was because I was projecting this false narrative onto this one man who very likely, when he leaned onto his cane and mm-hmm. stared at me, was thinking, please don't screw this up. I've heard this poem yeah, 50 yeah. times. Yeah. Like that, like he wanted me to succeed. Yes. Yeah. And I was the one putting all of this other spin on it that, that was unnecessary. So again you know, one of the quickest ways to bring a crowd back in is to acknowledge that they're flat. Yeah. Be like, I don't know if it's you or me, but we need to change the energy in this room.
2: Yeah. That kind
1: of like snaps them out. And they're like, oh yeah, maybe we do.
0: Yeah. Right, right. And I think that's that's why a lot of people are afraid to go on stage because of those scenarios. They think it's too much, it's too much to deal with. But from your book, it gives very straight bullet points, step by step, exactly how you can prepare yourself on the stage. Now, before we wrap up, could you give a little bit more about the book? What is actually in the book and how can that benefit our listeners who may be fearful on, on the stage?
1: Yeah, so The Power to Speak Naked is a, is a book that is, a, it's not a big manifesto, right? Like this isn't going to teach somebody to be a TEDx speaker. Yeah. What it is, is it's just a whisper to that inner fear to kind of be that, that encouragement to say, listen, listen, yeah. you don't have to be afraid of this. Mm-hmm. This is actually could be really rewarding and really fun for you. And so I take them through 10 chapters of very simple to implement, mostly mindset work. Like we do have an entire chapter on the pre-talk routine. Which is and most of that is breathwork and mindset, where we I walk you through the exact same exercises that I have used for thirty five years, so that somebody can adopt their own way of finding comfort and and actually learning how to um, practice and rehearse up front too. So we have an entire chapter on preparation and what right. you actually need to focus on, because so many people focus on memorizing their talk. Like it's this sacred script. And they're like, I will read everything in here, word for word for word. La, 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 la. And yes. that is not, not mm-hmm. what you should do at all when preparing mm-hmm. for a presentation. In fact, it's the, the most uh, anti-productive and counterproductive thing that you could do it is to try and memorize blocks of text. So we wa- I walk them through how to properly prepare, some secrets for keeping your audience engaged. And if you do lose your audience, if it becomes flat, how to re-engage your audience. We discuss um, that pre-talk routine and and mental focus. And then we get into some advanced techniques for the people who do want to look at maybe doing it a little bit more professionally or want to pursue being a keynote uh, presenter, showing them what they need to do to bring that to the next level, make them more professional, more polished. How to have uh, impactful presentations without the need for a PowerPoint, without the need for props or lighting or a PA system, strip it down to the raw, naked truth of the talk, hence mm-hmm. the power to speak naked.
0: Right. The truth is, how the book can help people not only for social or entertainment build not confident, but actually help them break into that industry. Correct? Yes.
1: yes. Yeah, it, it, it. we show them it, how. Uh, The first, obviously the first eight chapters is just getting comfortable presenting, but then yes, if somebody wants to break into the industry, if somebody does want to become a professional speaker, or wants to explore what that could look like, we have uh, a chapter entirely dedicated to now what, Mm
0: -hmm. now what do you
1: do with this information, how do you find some of those gigs, and one of the quickest ways is, is, believe it or not, the power of Google, I walk them through. If, yeah. you wanna, if you want to practice, if you want to get better at speaking, you got to find the places to speak. And one of the quickest ways to do it is Google, call for presenters,
0: yeah. and then
1: whatever topic it is you want to speak on. You want to speak on uh, rare 1920s baseball cards? Yeah. You could probably find somewhere that has some kind of presentation on that. You want to talk about the different flavors of bubblegum and how candy and confectionaries have evolved yeah. over the 200 yeah. years? You can find that. Yes. You want to talk about um, exotic footwear? Bet you you can do that too. Like right. Google your area, your, your to- call, and then call for presentation, call for talks, call for presenters, call for speakers. That's kind of the phrasing that you do, and then you can find it. And we've got a whole bunch of tips like that that are inside the book.
0: Right, right. Just to ask, for the benefit of our listeners, um, this book is for Canadian resident only or international?
1: No. No, you can find this worldwide um through my publisher morgan james it'll be in bookstores and i believe 130 countries Um, there's very few places in the world where you where you won't be able to walk into a bookstore and pick it up if you wanted to but anybody who wants can actually pre-order the book right now and i would encourage them to go to goodreads Mm -hmm. um to to look for the book and then um if they want to order it online bookshop.org And I would encourage anybody to go to bookshop.org for any literary title that you want, fiction or nonfiction. Uh, Bookshop.org will connect you with your local book retailer. So Jeff Bezos has enough money. He's going to space next month. Sir Richard Branson did it first, but Jeff (laughs) Bezos is going to space, right? He has money. You don't need to go to his website to order my book. But regardless of the title, any book you want, if you go to bookshop.org, that will connect you with your local bookshop, your local book retailer, your mom and pop right. brick and mortar store. And you can get, you can pre-order my title there. You can get any other title, whatever you want, fiction or nonfiction. So that's my, my plug for bookshop.org. And it's actually cheaper to get my book on bookshop.org than it is on some right. other site. Right, so right. I, again, you want to save money, support your local book retailer, and, uh, you know, support a local author who's really good looking, like me. <laughs> Bookshop, now I think we, right need,
0: we definitely give it a round of applause of that, because uh, if you're good at what you're doing, everybody's going to follow it. Yeah. Um, because it's going to benefit them at the same time. But it come to my mind, is it in a hard copy on digital to download? Uh, so
1: you can, yeah, you can order the uh, Kindle version, and you can also get its paperback. Uh, we don't right. have a hardcover right now just because I wanted to keep the cost low for yeah. people. Um, but there will be a limited edition hardcover uh, that will come out probably six months right. down the road. Uh, obviously, sales dependence. Um, when I first self-published this book back in two thousand and nineteen, it uh, it hit it was number one bestseller on Amazon okay. for three days. Um, so it's number one best selling book on Amazon. But uh, now that it is a trackable book title um, through a, a proper publishing company, uh, sales dependent, we may have a hardcover. But yes, you, it is in hard copy. You right. can actually physically order this book and uh, you can get the Kindle version. And we have a, a way of getting the PDF version ahead of time. If anybody goes to my website, which is Sean Right. Well,
0: the results like that for your book to be number one, that tells you there's a high market of people wanting it.
1: Well, and and that's the thing it was partly because I chose the right category and you know it was in it was the number one book in business development and business education. So it shows you that it's not necessarily that there's high demand for my book necessarily but there is a high demand yes. for people to learn the skill set. Yeah. And if I can play a small part in that that brings my life meaning and joy. So
0: right, right. Uh just to find up with finishing up because I'll tell you, I, I'm really enjoying what you're delivering here because um it's such so key information. I would call this the university. Uh the university of real education, where people are going and they're learning something. When they leave, they're ready to put it into action. So um to finally sir, do you coach people to absolutely one yeah, on one I and take, group?
1: Yeah, I take. Uh, typically I take on seven private clients every six months. And the reason for that is after six months, if I haven't improved your public speaking skills, I shouldn't take your money to begin with. And I give it back to you. And Mm. after six months, you should be at a point where you are now my peer and not my student. So at that point, I'm happy to pass you on to a, a, to some of my other, uh, people within my funnel and people who I work with regularly and my mentors, because I'm constantly working on the craft. Uh, so I am always working with, with amazing speakers as best I can in any capacity that I can so that I can learn and grow and pass that on to, to my group. So yeah, I do take on uh, seven private clients, um, for six months, twice a year. And then I do have a platinum coaching program where I dedicate an entire year to getting you from, wherever you are now to wherever you want to end up however that looks and I usually take on four of those clients a year but yeah I've been and then we have the um, training seminars so uh, my power to speak naked two and a half day training seminar is typically um, we bring on 200 students and that uh, we put that on 10 times a year in different places in the world Uh, London is usually one of them And then uh, my uh, power of influence is a five-day workshop where we usually take 40 students who have had to have gone through uh, Power to Speak Naked so that they can really hone their signature talk, uh, whatever that looks like, find what their audience is, really nail down how to effectively speak to that audience and, and promote their message and their story and hone in on what that is. Right, Tyle,
0: Before I end up, something came to me quite strong, and I need to put this out there: is what you're doing is a platform for not only to read your book, but your coach and put them in contact with other people to take their career forward. Now, reason why I say that: not many industries are doing that. They just come, coach, read the book, that's it. And the person, right. I want to break into that industry. Can you help me? Well, I've got time. I'm busy. It's too much money. You have put that in such a way that it's almost a package people to go wherever they feel with that flexibility that's amazing
1: well thank you i i think it's i think it's incumbent on any business to um try to become outmoded for their clients yes you know i mean yes we can have some consumable things where we need to come back right if coca-cola wants to be the king of soft drinks let them do it i will have a coke every day and drink it because once it's done it's done and now i'm thirsty again Right. But when you're in a service industry like I am and I am trying to help a client at some point I need to m- have them move beyond yeah. me. And and it doesn't do them any service if yeah. I can't help them with what beyond me right. looks like. Yeah. So I I've, I've always in everything that I've done in every business that I've had, I've always had the this is how I serve you. Yes. Yeah. As myself but then this is how i can serve you beyond me by connecting you with the other people that can do it and i only connect people with other connectors so that they understand that when when they've gone past me now there's the next step and the next step and the next step so that they can grow vertically however they want to they can choose the path because ultimately you as the listener right now are in control of your destiny you yep. get to choose what your path looks like. I am just here to serve you, to help you walk it for the little bit that I know.
0: Exactly. And the reason why I said that as well, because I'm looking at the young people who want to get into industry, young, naive, don't know how to get into certain areas. They need guidance. They need help. So we're talking about young people and just have a few acting schools. And the complaint is nobody's there to help us when we come out to acting No agency is willing to silence up. We don't know where to go. My parents can't afford it. So why I said congratulations on that is because it tells me you've really looked into those areas really, really well and looking at if I have done this, why wouldn't I help somebody else like a young person to get into that industry by putting them in touch with certain people who are giving their time?
1: Yeah. And I still do that to this day, even with acting. I, you know, when I'm working with young performers and somebody says, oh, how did you do it? I'm like, it's real easy. And I'll show you how, you know, yes. I, especially it helps too, that I, um, have not only my agents still and yes. have a close tie with my representation, but I also am have ownership in another agency. Mm-hmm. And if anybody can't get representation, I can always get them their first agent yes. always, because it's just a call away. And I think everybody deserves that first shot. They deserve to get yeah. in front of a casting director. It doesn't mean that they're going to book a role.
0: Yeah. But they should
1: get the opportunity to at least audition and and I leave the rest up to them and the talent and the and the grace of the Lord. Yes. Yeah. But I I can at least serve them in look, if you can't find an agent on your own, I will at least get your representation here. Right. Or I'll put you in touch with the people who I know, or I will guide you through the process so that you can find your own agent. I just I, I you know it's nothing brings me more joy then when I get the email or the message that, Hey, I got picked up by so-and-so thank yeah. you. You know, I'm like, yeah. yes, that's one more person who can go out and, and pursue their dream because you never know where it will end. But you, if you don't, if you don't, I, I would rather live with the regret of having done something right and it failed than having never done it at all.
0: Right. Right. I can relate to that very much. And uh, Tara, what can I say? Hey, the parties begin. We've got Canada and UK working together on ideas that our listeners can actually use as a benefit and a tool. And I think it also about the attitude is get rid of the excuses and find a solution. And I think your book is talking about, okay, you're having this difficulty, but read this book, take the steps, that's a solution. What are you going to do now? So what can I say? It's been an honor to have you on, and uh, you never know, we may be looking at part two and three for those young people who are looking for questions and answers that can help them break into that industry. So uh, Tara, what can I say, it's been an honor to have you, and uh, we wish you all the best at what you're doing. I'll be looking on my screen for the uh, next act, seeing you in the background or in the forefront, with all shoulder to shoulder with the highest to the highest. So uh, thank you so much indeed for being with us and we do appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Trevor. All
0: right. Thank you. So ladies and gentlemen, we're back again uh, every Thursday and uh, 12 o'clock to seven o'clock and you will be getting updates of all the next guests who will be coming on. Like we just had one today, wonderful interview being highlighted. So ladies and gentlemen, take care. thank you and we will see you again. Take care.